Welcome to another podcast episode in the book of Genesis. I've been reading a lot of material and listening to podcasts and sermons in preparation to teach these next chapters well, and I'm excited to share what I've learned. There's no shortage of thoughts on the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I suppose this podcast is yet one more to add to the collection of interpretations and retellings. But what I hope to do today, as is what I hope for each episode, is to stay true to the text true to the cultural lens in which it was written, and to glean what we can and apply it to our lives and our culture. So let's approach this potentially familiar story with fresh eyes and an open heart today. Welcome to Season 3 of the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker, and I'll be your host. Are you interested in what the Bible really means, or wondering how it's relevant to life today? If so, this podcast is for you. In this season, we are going back to where it all begins, the book of Genesis. No matter what your age or your background or your experience is with the Bible, I believe you can find something fresh and meaningful every time you study it. Hi, my name's Ariana. The Bible is for everyone. (laughs) Thanks, Ariana. All right, friends, let's get started. We started Genesis 18 in episode 23, but only made it as far as the conclusion of the meal with Abraham and his three visitors. The second half of this chapter is a conversation between Abraham and the Lord. Now, if this story is familiar to you, as it was to me, try to approach this with a sense of wonder and curiosity about this, almost as if it's your first time reading it. Let's take a look together at verses 16 through 25. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And as I've encouraged you before, I'd love for you to visualize what I'm reading. Picture Abraham. Picture his tent. Picture Sodom. Picture the visitors and see this playing out in your mind as I read the narrative. The men got up from there and looked out over Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to see them off. Then the Lord said, Should I hide what I am about to do from Abraham? Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. The Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. The men turned from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham stepped forward and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place? For the sake of the fifty righteous people who are in it? You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? Okay, let's talk through this scene we just read. The meal's over, and the men get up, presumably to leave and continue their journey. And we're told that Abraham is walking with them to see them off. This is consistent with his good hospitality. It's like walking dinner guests to our front door to see them out and say goodbye. 
In verse 17, we get a glimpse of a question the Lord poses to himself. He ponders if he should hide from Abraham what he's going to do. The Lord's mind is pretty much made up. He has a plan. He's just debating on telling Abraham his plan. And he's going to go down and check out Sodom to see if it's really as bad. But this is the Lord. He knows it's bad. This is really for our sake. So let's follow his logic train. First, he says, after all, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. God has this plan for Abraham's descendants to grow into a great and powerful nation. And this is a part of his consideration and letting Abraham in on what God's about to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. In addition, God reasons that all nations will receive a blessing through him. And we know that the blessing is the promised seed, and we know that the promised seed is Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus' line can be traced all the way back to Abraham. You can see evidence of this in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Matthew. So the Lord is building a case for himself to share his plans with Abraham. And he goes on reasoning to add that he's chosen Abraham, and he desires for Abraham and his children to follow the ways of the Lord. God has chosen Abraham to accomplish his purposes for humanity. And in God's incredible graciousness, he's reasoning out that he needs to invite Abraham into a conversation and share with him these other plans that God already has in store for Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, pretend you've never heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. And let's reread verses 20 and 21. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. I want that to sit a bit with us. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. If you've never heard the story, what would you be imagining that would cause God to describe these cities like this? Remember earlier when I said there's no shortage of thoughts on the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that are out there? There are some groups of people who interpret the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah to be about the people there not showing hospitality, as evidenced in the next chapter. Well, this interpretation is a pushback against the more traditional view that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were pretty awful people. And we're going to get more into that in the future. But if you don't know the story, right here, there is clear indication that the whole town, both towns, are steeped in sin. And we're going to find out that the men of Sodom want to engage and a gang rape of the two visiting men that are currently with Abraham. Friends, this is not an issue of poor hospitality. This is an issue of deep sin. And notice what the Lord says. The outcry is great. Their sin is extremely serious. I will go see if what they have done justifies the cry. The Lord is hearing the cries of people who have been sinned against by the Sodomites and Gomorrites. It's so great and sounds so grievous that he's planning to go down and check it out and act on his inclination to destroy these wicked cities. 
So if you've seen arguments or perhaps you've rethought your traditional understanding of the story, can I ask you to just be honest with the text? Would the Lord come down after hearing an outcry about sin if the sin was that they were not hospitable? Would the Lord consider destroying two entire cities for lack of hospitality? More on this in our next episode, but for now, let's keep going. We've looked at this internal dialogue the Lord has, and now the author of this narrative returns to a description of what is happening in the text. The two men, and again, these are angels disguised as men, but two of the three visitors turn and head towards Sodom, but Abraham is still standing before the Lord. Abraham now steps forward and engages in a dialogue with the Lord. And if you've read this before, you know that Abraham questions God about destroying these cities if there are still some righteous people to be found. He starts with 50 righteous, then asks about 45, then goes to 40, and how about 30? Then what about 20? And finally lands on 10. And each time, God agrees that if the proposed amount of people are found to be righteous, he will not destroy the cities. I want us to look at this back and forth dialogue through the lens of the themes we've been studying as we've read this book. We've been looking to see what we can learn about God's character and what we can learn about the character of humans. And so far today, we see that God is interested in involving Abraham and knowing his plans. He chooses Abraham. Then he shares plans and his intentions with Abraham. God desires partnership with us. He's personal. He's intimate. Let's take a look at how Abraham approaches this conversation. These are verses 23 through 25. Abraham stepped forward and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of 50 righteous people who are in it? You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? Abraham's first question is to clarify if God will punish the righteous along with the wicked. And he poses the number 50. What if there are 50 righteous among them? And then he appeals to God's character. Surely you. Judge of the earth won't punish the righteous because of the wicked. Do you see what Abraham is doing here? He's interceding on behalf of anyone who might be righteous, and he's appealing to God's character. The God he knows is a God of mercy. And Abraham wants to be sure that the God he knows won't punish the righteous along with the wicked. And so the Lord responds that if he finds 50 righteous in the city of Sodom, he will spare the entire city for the sake of those. And so maybe at this point, Abraham realizes 50 is pretty unlikely given what he knows of Sodom. And so he speaks up. This is verse 27. Since I ventured to speak to my Lord, even though I am dust and ashes, suppose the 50 righteous lack five. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? Did you catch how humble Abraham is in the next question? He's approaching the Lord with complete recognition of who he, Abraham, is in comparison to who God is. 
He considers himself. He knows that he is but dust and ashes. And I know this version says 50 lakh five, but what he's asking about here is, what if there's only 45, five less than I originally posed? And the Lord responds again, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Abraham then asks about 40. And God agrees to spare Sodom for 40. Abraham humbly continues to whittle it down. Here's the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 30. Then he said, Lord, then he said, let my Lord not be angry and I will speak further. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Then he said, surely I have ventured to speak to my Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He replied, I will not destroy it on account of 20. Then he said, let my Lord not be angry and I will speak one more time. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, I will not destroy it on account of 10. When the Lord finished speaking with Abraham, he departed and Abraham returned to his place. Abraham continued to humbly intercede for whatever number of people that might possibly exist in Sodom who are righteous, all the way down to advocating for God's mercy on this entire wicked city, even if there were only 10 righteous people. And when the Lord agreed to save the city, if 10 could be found, Abraham seemed satisfied and he returned to his place. I think this persistence in Abraham is absolutely admirable. We're tracing the theme of human characteristics in our study of Genesis. And humans can be persistent for good and for bad. Here, it's really amazing. Humans can also interact with God. And in that interaction, we see Abraham recognize who he is and recognize who God is. And humans have a sense of justice and fairness, some more keenly aware than others, some more committed to these than others. But let's consider our own prayer life. Do we approach God to intercede for others? Are we this persistent? Do we do it with humility and a real sense of who we truly are as compared to who the Lord is? Do we care deeply about justice and about advocating for those who are innocent? Abraham's model of intercession for others is certainly worth noting and emulating. He could have easily looked down at Sodom and Gomorrah, knowing their sins and crimes, and just shrugged his shoulders in a, oh well, should have known better kind of attitude. Or when he learned of God's plans, he could have just chalked it up to karma, or had a sense of self-righteousness and haughtiness. After all, he is a distant neighbor to these really wicked folks. But instead, he's compassionate. He thought about the possibility of there being some innocent people among that all that wickedness. And he was so moved on behalf of that possibility that he persistently pressed into God, appealing to the Lord's sense of justice and mercy, all to ensure that God would not unfairly punish anyone who might not be deserving of the coming judgment. I love his compassion. I love his drive to advocate for others. Now, he and the Lord separate, and in chapter 19, we see that only two men, who are now described as angels, 
head down to Sodom. Let's just read a few verses into chapter 19 today, and then we'll wrap things up for this episode. Here's verses 1 through 3. The two angels entered Sodom in the evening, as Lot was sitting in Sodom's gateway. When Lot saw them, he got up to meet them. He bowed with his face to the ground and said, My lords, turn aside to your servant's house, wash your feet and spend the night. Then you can get up early and go on your way. No, they said, we would rather spend the night in the square. But he urged them so strongly that they followed him and went into his house. He prepared a feast and baked unleavened bread for them, and they ate. Do you remember Lot? This is Abraham's nephew, and it's been a minute since we've seen him in the story of Abraham, but he's still around. In fact, he's sitting at the gate of Sodom. Let's just think about the parallels between Abraham's greeting of his three visitors and Lot's greeting of these two visitors. We find Lot at the gate to Sodom, which, again, is it's a really interesting point, and I'm going to circle back to it in the next episode so we can connect why Lot being at the gate is an important piece of Lot's journey. And like Abraham, Lot sees these visitors, so he gets up from the gate and he goes to meet them. He also, like Abraham, bows with his face to the ground, and he offers similar hospitality. He wants to host them for the night so they can rest, wash, and eat. The men declined at first, but Lot urged them. Remember Abraham's hurriedness and persistence in having his visitors stay for a meal? So Lot is also urging them and convincing them to stay in his home. And he offers them food and what is described in these verses as a feast. Now, you may know this, but this story is going to take a very ugly turn. We're not going there today. That'll be the focus of the next podcast in this series. So we'll pause here and let's wrap up with a few key points. First of all, God desires partnership and fellowship with us. Don't miss this. God had dinner with Abraham. (laughs) That's awesome. He talked to him about his plans because God had chosen Abraham to play an important role in history. And God wanted Abraham to realize that ultimately God is the judge He will not tolerate wickedness and sin forever. Second, God is merciful. He was willing to spare a city steeped in sin for the sake of ten who might be found righteous. Now, as I said in my intro, you can find a plethora of resources out there to help you understand the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But let's not forget the power of the text itself. If we're familiar with scripture stories, it might be easy to gloss over them and forget to stop and marvel about the incredible nature of our God. We're not done with Sodom and Gomorrah, so I hope you'll join me next time for a deep dive in what the Bible has for our ordinary lives. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoy what you heard. Don't forget to leave a review and connect with us on Instagram. The Bible is for everyone.